Welcome to the Garden Clinic Digs Deeper podcast. I'm Sandra Ross and I'm thrilled to resume this podcast and I hope to keep you inspired each week in your garden. Today we're looking at three things, three topics. Firstly, bulbs, all those beautiful spring flowering bulbs to plant now, now's the time. Secondly, a magic mulch to spread over your garden in autumn to really make it shine. And thirdly, some tips to help you get the best out of your autumn roses. So as we're all stuck home, self-isolating from the COVID virus, we have more, times to, more time to really enjoy our gardens. So spring flowering bulbs, Mother's Day, it's the trigger to remind us to get our spring flowering bulbs planted. Good to wait till May when the soils have cooled after that horrendous summer and so has the air temperature. So bulbs, spring bulbs are all about colour and fragrance. The first spring bulbs start flowering actually in the depth of winter and that's the snowflake. The snowflake, the leucogium in, in warm gardens and the snowdrop in cool gardens. So which bulbs are you planting? Daffodils, freesias, bluebell, ixia, sporaxis, tulip, hyacinth, ranunculus? Oh my gosh. And where will you buy them? Your local nursery or garden centre will have a good stock. You can go online to specialist companies like Van Diemen's Quality Bulbs in Tasmania. They sell a huge range of good quality bulbs. Their website vdqbulbs.com.au or you can phone them for a catalogue, a colour catalogue, which they will post out to you, 1800 179 Van Diemen's Quality Bulbs. And then Tesla in the Dandenongs in Victoria. Also an excellent website with all the bulbs there pictured beautifully and the colour catalogue that you can request to be posted. So that's Tesla, T-E-S-S-E-L-A-R.net.au and their phone number 1300 428 527. So in the garden, are we planting bulbs in the garden? So the preparation, the choice of bulbs, the care, before care, after care, how you look after those bulbs. Are you planting in pots? The style of the pot, what sort of potting mix? Which bulbs are good for pots? Stay tuned. Okay, these are my six top tips for really good flowering bulbs. The first one is pretty basic, the soil preparation. It's essential. It makes all the difference between success and failure. If you plant your spring bulbs into well-drained soil that's been improved with organic matter, so your own homemade compost is perfect, and if you're not up for that, a well-rotted, uh, good quality cow manure from a good nursery uh, will really improve that soil. First point. Second point is to keep those bulbs dry in the summer when they're dormant. So they have their spring flowering and then they go dormant in summer and it's important they stay dry. And third point is they need the moisture while they're growing and flowering and while the foliage dies down after the flowering. So important just to keep that moisture level there, don't let them dry out. Fourth point is to choose bulbs that are suited to your climate and we'll have more on that later. And the fifth point is to, just a general rule of thumb, is to plant those bulbs a depth 
of two to three times deep, three times the height of the bulb. So they're nice and safe, they're down deep, three times the depth of the height of the bulb and at least one bulb width apart. And last point is just to check the pH of your soil. It's uh, the optimum is between 6 and 7.5. Okay, so let's talk about the magic of bulbs. Let's start with tulips. We call them the queen of all bulbs because they're all about colour. Tulips have been hybridised into a myriad of brilliant colours from bold, beautiful, bold, solid colours right through to pastel, translucent, transparent shades. The petals can be fringed, speckled, splashed, fluted, even crimped like the beautiful parrot tulip. Tulips originate in Turkey when they were revered as a symbol of the royal court as early as 1500s. Then they were taken to the Netherlands, so a lot of people think they come from Holland, but they were taken to the Netherlands in the 1600s when they became more valuable than gold. This was tulip mania. In the 1600s, 1637, a single tulip bulb was more valuable than the most expensive house in Amsterdam. And that spirit of tulip mania has sort of transpired for nearly 400 years. It lives on in gardeners everywhere. When you buy a tulip bulb, or in fact any other bulb, the flower is already preformed, ready to bloom. All you need to do is plant it into well-drained soil in a sunny spot or into a pot, feed it and water it occasionally, and then just wait for that spring show. Now, there are many lovely varieties of tulip, the fringed tulips. Those extravagant fringed petals, intricate, light and lacy, gorgeous. The double tulips, full flamboyant flowers that sort of unfurl gradually to expose layer upon layer of petals, just like frilly petticoats. The large flowers are long lasting and they have short to medium stems. So they're not tall, so they're better suited for pots, really good in pots. And then the parrot tulips with their crimped, crumpled petals and their color bleeding and color blending. They've been popular since the 17th century. They're planted by the masters. Tulips would have to be the top of my list. In fact, I'm giving mine the cold treatment. They're all in the crisper, eight weeks in the crisper of my refrigerator. So if you live in a warm temperate area like I do, it's important to chill them. If you're in a cool area, you may not need to. So it's a good, good idea to order your bulbs in February and then it gives you the time to put tulips and hyacinths too into the crisper for six to eight weeks. And remember that in warm, warm areas, uh, tulips won't reflower next year. You will need to plant more. So that's pretty much the story of tulips. They are so irresistible. Go online to those uh, two nurseries I mentioned, Tesla and Van Diemen's Quality Bulbs, and just have a look at what's, what's available. The next bulb I thought we'd talk about are the daffodils. They are one of the quintessential spring bulbs, so easy to grow, and you will just have them surprise you every year when they pop up without too much effort. They do need three lots of feeding in their growth cycle. So when they pop through the soil, give them a good complete fertiliser. And then when they come into flower, 
give them another feed and then as the foliage dies back down putting all those goodies back into the bulb for next year they need a third dose of fertilizer so three feeds during their season just a little tip if after you know, four or five years you noticed your daffodil bulbs are producing lots of foliage but not many flowers your bulbs may have multiplied and be overcrowding underground it is actually great news because it simply means you've got lots more bulbs just allow the flowers and the foliage to die back naturally over the spring season and then the beginning of December you can dig them up shake off the excess soil store them somewhere cool mid to low 20s uh, centigrade is fine and then you can separate them and replant them around Mother's Day the following year. The scented daffodils of course we know as jonquils and they are amongst the toughest of all the daffodils. The flowers cluster together on strong stems with a really powerful fragrance. Cut them for vases just to fill your house with that fragrance. Once you plant them, you'll enjoy them for many, many years. You haven't got to worry about lifting them. So all they need is plenty of sun and good, well-drained well soil. That's important. The general rule for planting daffodils is to plant them three times as deep as the bulb is high, with the pointy end up. That depth will protect them from the heat in summer as well as providing support for the flower stem as it emerges from the bulb through to the soil surface. And space those daffodils between 10 and 20 centimetres apart. Once the flowering is finished, you just cut the flower stem but not the foliage. Allow the foliage just to yellow off naturally and die back. And as I say, this is when the daffodil is gathering energy and nutrients for next year's uh, uh, blossom. And keep those plants relatively moist during this time. A little bit of general purpose fertiliser is a good idea. Daffodils like a bit of potash and slow release fertiliser. They're low in nitrogen, which means more flowers and less foliage. And then you don't need too much because they're not heavy feeders. So that's pretty much the story about the daffodils. Now the third on my list are the fragrant hyacinths one of the most fragrant of all spring blooms. They're seriously perfumed. And in combination with their incredible colouring, the bold colours, they're one of nature's great show-offs. They really are, absolutely. I've chosen just two. They're, you're spoiled for choice. There's between 70 and 80 different varieties of hyacinths. I chose two, one called Woodstock, which is a pretty plum purple, and another called Sweetheart, which is a rose pink. Both of them flower mid-season, so that's important if you're going to combine them in a pot, which I'm planning to do. So some hyacinths flower early, some mid-season, and some late-season. So these two varieties, Woodstock and Sweetheart, flower mid-season, so I'm hoping they will flower together. And it's wonderful to plant them in a shallow pot, not too deep. So I've got mine in the crisper and I'm ready to plant mine out on Mother's Day. When you plant your hyacinths, good idea to wear gloves because the bulbs have just got a, a, a bit of a, um, an irritation. It can cause irritation if you've got a sensitive skin and itching. So try not to touch them. Use your gloves. If you are affected, just wash your hands with warm soapy water. 
when you plant your bulbs, your pot, it's a good idea to put them somewhere where you can enjoy their beautiful scent, along a pathway, a window box, near your favourite chair. Bring them indoors when they're flowering to enjoy them. But when you plant them, it's really important to put them into a really cool shaded spot for the first eight weeks. This means that the flower head can develop slowly doesn't grow too quickly and doesn't sort of flop. It emerges slowly and it emerges right out of the crown of the bulb. And um, as it emerges, as that flower bud emerges, you can gradually move your pot into a lightly shaded area and gradually into a little bit more light, but not into fierce sunshine. It'll really spoil the blooms. So once those blooms are out and flowering, you can put them wherever you want them wherever it's, you want that lovely fragrance. You can plant hyacinths in the garden. Choose a spot that's shaded from the hot afternoon sun. Beneath deciduous trees is perfect. Prepare the soil, as I mentioned before, with well-rotted manure or your own compost, and do that a few weeks before you plant your bulbs. This increases the drainage, adds nutrient to the soil, and uh, it means that you'll get the best out of your hyacinth. And as I say, plant them around Mother's Day when the soil is cooled. Plant your hyacinths 10 to 15 centimetres deep with the pointy end up and then water them in. So lovely, gorgeous, fragrant hyacinths. You'll be delighted when you plant them. Next on my list is the freesia. Fragrant, fragrance. <laughs> the beautiful nostalgic fragrance of freesia. Do you remember them in your grandmother's garden? I certainly do. The blooms are a spring must. I just adore them. They flower on my birthday every year and I just love them. They're easy to grow. They flower for weeks and you really don't need to do anything. The lovely thing about freesias is that they just naturalise through the garden and through the lawn. You can get them growing up in your lawn and they're so well suited to Australian conditions. They do need uh, good sunlight to flower well and they do need well-drained soil so they don't rot off. But apart from that, they don't need much more care. You can cut them for a vase. Beautiful when you um, put them in a vase. The, there, there is a variety, the Burgundian freesias, which are the coloured freesias. They're not quite as fragrant as the old-fashioned Granny's freesia, the creamy one, but they've got lovely, lovely colours and you'll really enjoy them. So plant those freesias into a sunny spot now. They'll grow well and you'll have them forever. Next on my list are ranunculus. They're really, really good for picking. In fact, I plant them in my vegetable garden. I take up one of the vegetable plots and I plant ranunculus there just for picking. They grow from tiny little, they're actually little tubers. They look like claws. So when you plant them, put the claws down because that's where the roots come from. Um, and you'll get between 10 and 15 flowers per tuber. They're really good value for money. There are a few lovely varieties of ranunculus. Renaissance is a lovely favourite. It's really popular with the cut flower growers because they provide the florists with this spectacular variety of ranunculus. Ranunculus Renaissance. Uh, they're 
full and frilled and speckled and spotted and picketed and oh my goodness you'll enjoy them if you go online and have a look at Ranunculus Renaissance. A triumph of breeding really, high quality, long lasting, consistent doubles and an incredible range of colours. And then there's Picasso, it's a really lovely big Ranunculus too, grows on a tall stem very good for cutting and lasts so beautifully in a vase. So with ranunculus you can sow those tubers really from mid-March right through until the end of May. So you need to, it'll take about between 10 and 12 weeks for them to come into flower after you've planted them. So as I say plant them the little claws down in autumn, feed them well and by the time spring rolls around you'll be picking bunches of blooms. They do like humus-rich soil, so again, add your own compost or a well-rotted manure to the soil before you plant them. I'm actually soaking some here in a bowl overnight because I like to just to swell them up with moisture before I plant mine. Uh, it, I, I think it really helps, so just, um, just soak them overnight before you plant them. Uh, anemone is very similar to ranunculus except that it's a very beautiful classic simple flower, single, strong colours, the colours of velvet, velvet blue, velvet red, velvet pink with a dark black centre, absolute classic flower, beautiful for cutting, beautiful in a cottage garden and uh, they've got a little nut shaped corm uh, and ferny foliage, anemone, very very the decaying anemones are the pick of the bunch. They're uh, improved varieties and they just look beautiful. So there you go, quite a few lovely varieties there. The Dutch iris, there's lots of others, but it's just, I wonder what you'll choose to, pl to plant in your garden this autumn for a spring show. The best garden in the street. Don't forget the sea salt. Tell everyone you meet. Don't forget the sea salt. Have a listen to your garden today If plants could talk, this is what they'd say Hey mum, don't forget the seesaw Hey dad, don't forget the seesaw Hey you, don't forget the seesaw Everybody, don't forget the seesaw Welcome back to the Garden Clinic Digs Deeper podcast. I'm Sandra Ross, thrilled to have you with me, hoping to inspire you each week in your garden. This time I'm talking about magic mulch. It's just a fantastic way to keep your flowering trees well fed so that they flower beautifully for you in spring. So what is a magic mulch? Well, it's a recipe. It should be all mixed together in a large wheelbarrow and then you spread it around the base of all your flowering trees to a depth of 10 centimetres. So I'm talking about magnolias, cherries, flowering cherry, flowering peach, flowering plum, flowering crabapple, flowering pear. Just spread it over the root system right out to the drip line of the tree. So this mulch feeds the soil and really improves the health of your trees, encourages good deep root system and bigger and better blooms. This magic mulch, you can apply it twice a year, do it now in autumn, and then again in spring after it flowers in spring. 
If you search the Garden Clinic website for Sandra's Magic Mulch, you'll see a short video that I recorded in our garden a few years ago showing all the ingredients. So watch what is in this mulch. So into your wheelbarrow, you need to put five bags of cow manure. Don't substitute chicken manure because it could burn the shallow roots of your plants. So a good quality cow manure, five bags, one cup of blood and bone, one cup of sulphate of potash, and then between one and three cups of dolomite. I like to use three because that really sweetens the soil. So you mix all those ingredients together and then you just, uh, with a shovel, uh, distribute it over the root system right out to the drip line of your tree to a depth of five centimetres. That will really, or ten centimetres actually, five inches, ten centimetres. That'll really help um, make such a difference to the spring flowering of your auto, of your spring flowering trees. This, garden lovers, is the sound of bigger, more colourful roses blooming in your garden after a healthy diet of Rich Grow's Black Marvel Rose Food. Black Marvel's scientifically advanced formula contains fast-acting potash and iron to transform your rose garden into a symphony of colour. Welcome back to the Garden Clinic Digs Deeper podcast. Uh, this time we're talking about roses, beautiful autumn roses. I've been growing roses for more years than I care to remember. I grow roses to pick. I love to pick them and to fill vases uh, with fragrant roses. I do love the old roses best because of their fragrance, their charm, their informal, relaxed way of growing. I grow them up pillars to get, them, to get the height and, of course, to produce lots of blooms. The old roses, the bourbon roses, like Madame Isaac Perrier, such a fragrant old rose. And the tea roses, so suited to, uh, well, the warm temperate climate where I live in Sydney. Uh, Monsieur Tillier is such a good rose. It was voted number one tea rose in a worldwide plebiscite a few years ago. Sombrail is another glorious tea rose. So this autumn season, we need to think about what we can do to get the best flowering from our roses. So there's a few things. The first is regular feeding. It will really produce beautiful blooms. I use sudden impact for roses in the pelletized form. Actually, I use it in both, the pelletized form and the liquid form. But once my roses shoot in spring, and in my garden, that's September, I start feeding every month. From September, every month through until April. And then I stop and I allow my roses to rest and to go into their winter dormancy period. Uh, in summer, I water them. I deep water each rose with a watering can. And in that watering can, I put sudden impact for roses, the liquid. And I do that every week. Some of my roses are so big, they get two lots, two watering cans every week in the summer. That's important because that nutrient goes right down into the root system and it really helps the rose. The seaweed in it makes the rose strong and makes it more resistant to pests and diseases. So it's really worth doing that deep watering uh, every week in summer. It really makes a difference. So that's the feeding aspect of roses. The second is to keep your roses healthy. 
And that's essential in a warm climate where black spot fungus can really debilitate your roses. So I have this fabulous garden, it's called a rose maintenance spray. Now when your roses shoot in spring, whether it's September in a warm climate, November in a cold climate, it's important to wait. Don't start spraying until that new foliage hardens off and becomes not too tender. And then you start this monthly rose maintenance spray program. It's totally organic and I do credit Diana Sargent. She wrote a fabulous book called All About Roses and she used all these ingredients and she this this uh, rose maintenance spray comes from that book all about roses all the ingredients are from the eco people ocp organic crop protectants and i'll give you what well, now what's in this spray okay now firstly you need a good sprayer we like the Swagman sprayer because it's reach, it's got a rechargeable battery. You don't need to pump it or do anything. Uh, you can find them on our Garden Clinic website. Uh, they're very light, very easy to handle, and they hold 10 litres, and that's what you need. So first thing you need to do is to fill your sprayer just with 10 litres of water. Then you need to mix up the ingredients into a bucket. So you put a quarter of a cup of eco-fungicide from uh, OCP, the eco-people, eco-fungicide, quarter of a cup, quarter of a cup of eco-oil, a teaspoon of seaweed powder or liquid, 20 mils of eco-neem, because if you look, you can, you can see little um, uh, mites and thrips and uh, in, they're clustering on the new growth and the eco-neem is a natural insecticide and 20 mils of eco aminogro. So mix those ingredients together in a bucket and then add them to the sprayer with the 10 litres of water. Make sure when you're spraying once a month that you use all the solution because it doesn't keep until the next month. It's really important to do it every month and if you've got that sprayer specially ready just to grab it from the shed, fill it with 10 litres of water, mix up the ingredients, it just makes it so easy. So I have to say, I get all my inspiration or a lot of inspiration from Alimentish at Red Cow Farm in the New South Wales Southern Highlands. I follow him on Instagram and he posts the best roses. He really is a master. So if you try this, the rose maintenance spray and the uh, regular, all the things I've just mentioned, keeping your roses healthy, I'm sure you will be able to cut beautiful bunches of roses and you'll enjoy them. Thanks for listening. I hope you found this podcast useful. Until next time, happy gardening.